0: We want to be a church that enjoys the truth about God the Father and follow Jesus' actually command. When you pray, you should say, Father. Great biblical truth. We don't talk about, when we talk with God, it's not some mysterious, faraway, unknowable thing out there. Not an angry judge. When we talk as God, we talk with God as Father. He created us in his image. He knows everything about us. He has good plans and intentions for our lives. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father. So here's a picture for the series. Get the strength of this father's hand used to tenderly allow his child to hold on to his finger. The child trusts the father. The child knows how strong the father is. And the child knows that the father will use his strength in a tender way. The child's not afraid of the father. The child knows they are loved by the father. They're safe. Last Sunday, we talked about how God the Father parents us, and we renounce the lie that God the Father is impatient or angry with us or has rejected us, and we reaffirm the biblical truth that God the Father is patient, slow to anger, and when he disciplines or disciples us, it's because it's proof of his love. He's growing us up into the people he called us to be. And today we're going to talk about the biblical truth that God the Father loves us. So we'll just start with this question. How do you know if someone loves you? Well, they love me because they give me what makes me feel good. That's how I know they love me. Baby cries, they need formula or they need to be changed. And uh, mom and dad come and does that and baby feels loved. They got what they needed, wanted. Or Christmas is coming up, right? A parent or grandparent gives a child what that child wanted most for Christmas. And the child experiences love. We know that someone loves us because they give us what makes us feel happy. But wait a minute, is that it? Does love just make us happy for a moment or two here or there or is something better, more substantial need to go on? I mean, if someone loves us, shouldn't they give us what we really need even if we can't see it ourselves? So this is my personal definition of Love according to the Bible. Love is wanting God's best for a person. You love someone, you want God's best for them. Now, this is not the way our culture thinks. Currently, culture understands love as affirmation and support. So if you love someone, you affirm what they're doing and support them. Whatever it is, just go for it. In other words, we give a person whatever they want from us. We just give it to them. But a biblical understanding of love focuses on something far more important. Instead of giving people what they want, God loves everything as described in the Bible, gives us what we desperately need. Genesis 1. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So if I love someone, I want God's best for them. I want them to discover that they are a man or woman created in the image of God. They're loved by the Father, saved by the Son, and led by the Spirit. And that understanding of love, that I want God's best for people, is incredibly practical. So when I say, I love my wife, I mean a lot of things. But at the center, I mean, I want God's best for my wife. So I'm a husband. So I'm also a dad. So when I say I love my kids, it means a lot of things, right? But at the center, it means I want God's best for my kids. And that determines how I treat them, how I parent them. And I'm a grandfather, so I got grandkids. I say, I love my grandkids. It means a lot of things, but at the center, I want God's best for them, and that guides how I treat and deal with my grandchildren. Love is wanting God's best for a person. I have a good friend in Minnesota who owns a game farm, and a number of years back when I was serving at church in Minnesota, we had a guy in church who had a very, very aggressive form of brain cancer, and he made it through initial surgery, he had radiation, chemo, really a tough year. Uh, and finally he just literally got back on his feet. He could walk around, walk outside, and enjoy a little bit of life, and he loved to pheasant hunt. And my friend who owned the game farm knew this, so he called uh, this guy. His name was Lass up one day. He said, Les, why don't you come out? and called me up and went pheasant hunting. February day, sunny, 30 degrees, beautiful day, good bird dog, plenty of birds to get up and you know, shot a number of birds. And at the end of the hunt, Les, the cancer survivor, said with tears in his eyes, and Les is not the kind of guy to cry. He said, I haven't had this much fun in a long time. Thank you. He felt loved because he got what he needed. He needed a joyful break from suffering, and he got it. So before we affirm the truth about God the Father's love, I want to look about the lie Uh, about God the Father that we'll renounce today. Here's the lie. I renounce the lie that you, Father God, have been mean, cruel, or abusive to me. And this lie just kind of sneaks in. Don't even understand what's going on. It sneaks in because things in our life go wrong. Things we do not want to happen, happen. And all of us, to varying degrees, have endured situations that have been mean, cruel, or abusive. And so this is what we call the problem of evil and suffering. If God the Father is good, why so much bad? Why so much suffering? And then we personalize it. We say, well, wait a minute. If God the Father is good, why did this happen to me? Why did my loved one die? Why did I get cancer diagnosis? Why did my marriage fail? Why are there so many challenges in my workplace all of the time? And then we, once you start asking why questions, you just kind of steamroll until you finally get to this why question. Why doesn't God do something? Now, everybody's heard of the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated. But there's, there is a platinum rule that says, treat people the way they want to be treated. So basically, I ask you what you want, and then I just give you what you want. That's the platinum rule. And oftentimes, when we come to God, we come to God that way. Platinum rule. God, this is what I want. You are supposed to give me what I want to make me happy now. And if you don't give me what I want, it means that you really don't love me. Now, let's hold on to that. Let's look at this biblical truth we're going to choose to affirm. We'll talk through it. I choose to believe the truth that Satan is mean, cruel, and abusive. But you, Father God, are loving, gentle, and protector, protective. Scripture is very honest about the presence of evil and suffering in the world. And it's also very honest about assigning it a source, an enemy. And our enemy goes by the name of the Bible of Satan or the devil. Satan rebelled against the creator, said, I don't want to serve God, I want to serve myself, and he he peeled off on this self-destructive path, and he invites people to join him. And anyone who rebels against God joins Satan on this self-destructive path And you end up walking away from the goodness of God, right into brokenness and woundedness. And this is exactly what Satan wants for us. And Jesus was, so evil and suffering have a source. It's not God the Father. Jesus was very clear about this in his teaching, exceptionally clear. Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan, mean, cruel, and abusive. Jesus goes on, my purpose and the purpose of the Father is to give people a rich and satisfying life. Father God is loving, gentle, and protective. Now the Apostle Paul knew about this. Ephesians 6, he said, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Satan is real and mean and cruel and abusive. Fortunately, that's not the whole story. After enduring, threat, enduring threats on his life, King David, in the Old Testament, wrote these words I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. Father God is loving, gentle, And protective. And Jesus, the son who perfectly shows us what the character of God the Father is like, said this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Father God, Loving, gentle, and protective. So while our enemy wants to deceive people and lead people into brokenness, God the Father is at work to bring restoration to this broken world. Now, it's easy to get caught up in the question, why does God allow evil and suffering? Scripture actually takes a little bit different approach. It says evil and suffering is real, and then it spends most of its time saying, and this is what God the Father is doing to bring restoration and hope into the lives of people in this broken world. This is what God's doing. John 3, 16, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So the Father sends his Son to save. The Father sent the Son to restore people to God's family. And the Father sent the Son to bring healing to people's lives through the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit. Or as we say at Cornerstone, Jesus changes everything. He brings the Father's love into our life. And so we move from being wounded to experience healing. We move from being broken to putting pieces back together. We move from worrying about everything to having some peace of mind. And in the end, Jesus will bring us through death to resurrection life at the end. We'll talk about that in a bit. Actually, right now. When Jesus returns at the end, there's a final judgment. Scripture's clear about this. And there's a complete restoration. So all who belong to the Father through the Son will be welcomed into this new heaven and new earth. No more woundedness, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. There's a complete, absolute restoration of creation to God's original intention. God with us, us with God. Amazing. And Jesus shows us what love is like. John says, this is real love. Not that we love God, no, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What we needed most is all this stuff that's, that gets in the way from us trusting God, our sin, our rebellion, our woundedness, our hurts, our frustration. Someone has to come and remove that so we can trust the Father. Who does that? Jesus does. Through his death, he puts it to death. Through his resurrection, as we trust him, he gives us new life. So we trust that sacrifice for our sin. It gets taken away. It's the thing we need most. So then we go, we know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. Now, the degree to which we feel loved by a person is the same degree to which we will trust them. So if someone really loves us, we know it, we'll put a lot of trust in them. If we, we're pretty sure they don't love us much, we're not going to put much trust in them, are we? Shortly after we moved into a new home back in 2002 that we built, which was kind of fun, uh, back in Minnesota, our son Josh headed off to college down in Chicago. Sarah was a sophomore, a junior in high school. And for some reason, I never asked this question of myself before, but for some reason the question popped into my head one day Would Terry and the kids be okay if something happened to me and I died? I never thought about that, but it just popped in my head. I mean, how's Terry going to take care of the house? i had a big yard, and, and would Josh and Sarah be okay without having a dad around? And, but the answer actually came very quickly. I said, they'll be fine. They'll make it. Because we had a group of friends who loved us, and they had proven that they loved us at a high level. So I trusted them at a high level, and I knew without a doubt, if something happened to me, they would step in. They loved, they could be trusted. God the Father loves with the Son, God the Father can be trusted. See, the Son reveals the Father's love for you and me. That's why He came, to make it real. So Jesus one day said, I no longer call you slaves because the Master doesn't confide in His slave. You are now my friends, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. God just doesn't use us to get things done, no. That'd be like slavery, no. Through Jesus, he chooses us. We're, we're, we're in a friendship with Jesus. He, he calls us close. He tells us everything the Father tells him. He invites us into the family. We're friends with the Father. Amazing. Then Jesus goes on. I think this is even better. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. Jesus reveals the foundation of the Father's love for us is that he has chosen us in Christ. Now, in the New Testament day, disciples chose their rabbi. They would look around and see what the most famous rabbi was and say, I want to follow that one. With Jesus, it was different. He personally chose his disciples by name. They were chosen ones. Chosen by the Son to be close to the Father to bless the world. Now, for those of us who are married or have been married, we know that from time to time, uh, you know, marriage isn't intense bliss all the time, right? There's this stuff of life and life goes on. And every once in a while, everybody who's married goes, oh, we want to be in a little bit better place than we are. We've got to figure this out. And then as followers of Jesus, we're honest with him about that and he helps us do that. So get back to a better spot. Well, this happens in all marriages. It happens for Terry and I, too. So during one of those times for us, I realized that my wife, Terry, needed to be reassured that I loved her, that this is going to be just, just kind of one of the things we need to get through this chapter in our marriage. So I began telling her, I choose you today. I choose you. Now, I did not sit down, turn the TV on, watch a game, and at halftime yell out, I choose you! Didn't do that. I came close to her, I held her, I looked her in the eye and said, I choose you. Because being chosen is the foundation of being loved. So Jesus reveals his Father's love for us in saying, I chose you. So, God the Father doesn't just shout down from heaven, I chose you. No, He sends the Son who shows up in person, in flesh. He comes close. Jesus holds us and says, Listen, I choose you. That's what it means to be loved by the Father. We are chosen ones. And then, of course, this is my command. Jesus said, Love each other. Since we're chosen, by the Father through Jesus, we know we're loved by the Father, then this is what church is, chosen ones who choose to love each other because we're chosen. We just take the love that the Father gives and then we share it with each other. That's why church should be a place of high love and high trust because we're loving each other with the Father's love. And now, I said all that just to say this. I want you to see in your own history God the Father's love for you. So Psalm 107 ends with these words after uh, going through the whole whole history of God's people. It says, those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. So the goal is I want you to be able to look back over the course of your life, the good and the bad, all the stuff that's happened, and be able to see how the Father faithfully loved you and brought you through because in Christ he has chosen you. Now, just to clear a little something up here. Sometimes we have uh, expectations about what it means to experience God's love. And we go, well, if I really experienced God's love, I would have this intense sensations of God's presence and closeness and love every second of my life. I don't. I think it works a little bit differently. In 2006, there was an adventurer named Mike Horn. He decided to travel around the world uh, at the level of the Arctic Circle. And he said, I'm going to travel alone using no motorized vehicles. He traveled by foot, ski, kayak, or sailboat. 12,000 mile trip that took 27 months. And every once in a while, he had to be resupplied. I mean, he used up all his food. He needed to change out from skis to his kayak or whatever. So he was resupplied, and that was important. And then every few months, he would get to his daughter, excuse me, his wife and daughters would show up and spend a few days or a week with him. Because aside from being resupplied with food he needed to be resupplied with love from his family. And as he wrote in that book, those were always very intense, important times for him. And then he could head out again. Now, our stories, I think, are kind of like that. We're on this long journey through this earthly life, and every once in a while the father shows up in a powerful way, and we actually do experience the love of God. It could be in worship, could be through a song, could be through scripture someone says something to us and we just really sense that God's love is very present, very powerful. We're really thankful for those times. And then we keep walking on. We keep trusting Scripture that says God the Father has chosen us and loved us. We remember the experience of that love and we trust it. And then we look forward to the next sign when it comes. And it will. Because God the Father has chosen us. And that's why Scripture is so important. Life is way too short to wonder who God is and what he's doing. So if you don't have one, pick up a free New Testament, read the book of Luke, and just ask yourself, what is Jesus the Son showing me about God the Father? Very important. Before we uh, do our renunciation or affirmation, I just want to thank you as a church family uh, for your financial giving to what God's called us to do at Cornerstone. Uh, We give because we're thankful, not out of guilt or obligation or pressure. Where God the Father loves us, we're so thankful, we give back. And we invest in mission. So thank you for doing that. Now I'm going to invite you to stand up and we're going to renounce the lie. Get rid of that so we can make room for God's truth in our hearts. And as we have on past Sundays, we will uh, read with loud voice because we are serious about this. Read with me. I renounce the lie that you, Father God, have been mean, cruel, or abusive to me. And now we affirm the truth. I choose to believe the truth that Satan is mean, cruel, and abusive. But you, Father God, are loving, gentle, and protective. And all the people say, Amen.